0: Remember when everyone thought Ethereum would dump after the Shanghai upgrade? The price of Ethereum actually went up nearly 5% after withdrawals opened, but Ethereum might not be the token you should be looking at right now. Ethereum staking had its highest inflows of deposits in the week of April 24th. The amount of Ether staked is now above 19 million coins, or nearly $38 billion. Origin Ether lets ETH holders earn elevated yield on their Ethereum directly to their crypto wallets. You can deposit Ether for OETH or deposit liquid staking derivatives like STETH and RETH to boost your Ether yield. So get started today and start stacking ETH faster. Mint OETH with your Ether and watch your balance start to grow daily. Head to realvision.com OETH now to learn more.
1: Rob Frasco, welcome back to Crypto Daily Briefing. Always a pleasure to have you with us. Great to be here, Ash. Great to be here. Lots to talk about today. We're going to get to it in just a second. But first, let's take a look at price action. Bitcoin trading on my screen, 26,871 under the 27,000 handle, uh, trailing 24-hour basis. It's basically flat. It's off about one-tenth of 1%, trailing seven days, minus 2% trailing seven-day basis. Ethereum uh, trailing 24-hour basis. It's about up about half a percent, trailing seven-day basis. It's off about three-quarters of one percentage point. Call it just about flat, as you can see there on the chart over the last seven days on Ethereum. Rob, it's great to have you back on the show. I always enjoy these conversations. You're co-founder and managing partner of Cosmo Ventures. You've been an operator and investor and now an asset tokenizer. Lots to talk about here, but first, tell us a little bit about what you do at Cosmo
2: Ventures. Yeah. So we're a holding company, actually. We have, uh, we've been in the space now since I'd say 2015, we did our first blockchain deal. We have a small venture fund that's tokenized. One of the first, uh, ever, evergreen tokenized funds. Uh, we also are launching a proof of stake, uh, hedge fund, and we have, uh, a bunch of other, uh, companies in our holding company that are, you know, primarily in the digital asset space. So we're, we're all in digital assets. We have been for a while and, uh, You know, we we couldn't be uh, more optimistic about the space.
1: We're going to talk in more detail about some of those things that you're working on in just a few moments. Uh, But I want to touch on some of the news flow that's happening in the space that I know you're following closely. DCG, Genesis, Gemini. Uh, This has been an ongoing story. $630 million missed payment last week from Genesis to Gemini. I know it's confusing. All the names sound alike, uh, but this is Barry Silbert and the Winklevoss twins. Uh, Barry Silbert at DCG slash Genesis, the Winklevoss twins over at Gemini. Uh, $900 million total owed. Uh, Rob, what's your take on this?
2: Yeah, look, I I think the the fact that uh, Gemini is saying they want to work with uh, DCG and Genesis is really great for the industry. Uh, I think it's really important that, uh, you know, that that happens. Uh, Certainly looks to me from, you know, from my vantage point that DCG is really working at making this, uh, you know, figuring it out. Let's explain
1: Uh, that for people, particularly, you know, it's interesting, our audience, we have people from the engineering side, people from the finance side. I think folks on the finance side probably understand this debt forbearance uh, construct better than folks on the engineering side. Uh, Talk a little bit about what you mean when you say trying to work with them, because I think uh, this is something that lots of folks are not really familiar with.
2: Well, look, I think DCG is looking to, you know, raise cash, right, so that they can make these payments. And, you know, in in the current market, that could be difficult. So that might be selling off assets or, you know, really trying to structure deals. And, uh, you know, so when Gemini says, hey, look, okay, let's talk a little bit about forbearance. That's basically just saying, hey, we're going to give you some time. We're going to give you some time to figure this out, perhaps sell some assets, negotiate a deal um, and and figure that out versus being really hardcore and saying, no, you owe, go bankrupt. Uh, And so I think that's important. You know, as, as, a, as a dot-com guy, you know, I, I was early in dot-com, uh, you know, kind of through that first bubble and post. And Ash, you and I, we've talked about this a lot. I, I always say to my partners, man, I've seen this movie uh, and I've seen it play out before. And I see what's going on now in the market is, is kind of similar to that, right? And, and, you know, ultimately, I think the market is still early. Um, and I think a lot of the value, most of the value hasn't even been created yet. Uh, And so I think Gemini is being pretty smart about this, right? Uh, Personally, I I think you are going to start seeing some more uh, consolidation, maybe some mergers and acquisitions. I wouldn't be surprised if DCG uh, sells off some of its assets, maybe restructures, you know, those kinds of things. And I think you're going to start seeing more of that. Uh, You're going to see more of that as traditional players enter into the market and look look for a foothold uh, in this market.
1: I guess the general idea here for people who are struggling to get their heads around the concept we're talking about is that it's in the interest of the debtor and the creditor in these occasions, uh, oftentimes, uh, for them to be able to not uh, liquidate the uh, the creditor, uh, excuse me, the debtor, uh, because they believe that they can generate more. Uh, payment toward that owed debt by selling off some of the assets. I guess the64 trillion dollar question here is whether or not uh, there are assets that are going to be able to support uh, those debt payments and that I guess is kind of an open question. That's right, that's right.
2: yeah and, and I think and I think you know ultimately they need time uh, you know they need time to figure that out. Uh, and as I said, potentially you know asset sale or you know sell off you know DC DCG is pretty is, is a pretty big holding company. They have a lot of assets. So uh, I'm sure Barry is uh, is scrambling um, and trying to figure that out. So again, I think it's really good good indicator to hear that Gemini is is willing to work uh, with the, you know with them uh, to figure this out. It's good for everybody. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit
1: about your op ed piece uh, in Barrons, I guess going back a month or so, uh, talking about the. The future of financial services in the the sort of the wake of the regional banking crisis that we've seen here in the United States. Uh, Give us a little bit of context around that and tell us what that's about.
2: Well, look, I I think ultimately, um, you know, we we tokenized our venture fund, right? What does tokenization mean? You might have heard that a lot. It's basically creating digital shares on a blockchain of real world assets, uh, securities, uh, so unlike a crypto or those kinds of things, these are real securities. Uh, they, they follow securities laws. And what you're seeing is a, a big movement to essentially tokenize these assets. And what does tokenization buy you? First of all, it buys you the concept of liquidity, because if something is tokenized, I can trade it easily. I can sell it, buy it more easily. Uh, and so that's important. Number two, it gives you kind of a benefit of transparency, Because it is on blockchain, you can see what's going on. There's also the promise of baking in things like KYC and AML and whitelists into the tokens. Um, And then finally, what it does is because it's on blockchain, um, it it has the promise of being more efficient. And if it has the promise of being more efficient, then what what it can do is you you can essentially fractionalize. So I don't know if you saw... Uh, recently, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago, um, KKR, for instance, uh, yeah. tokenized uh, a sleeve, okay, a, a portion of a fund, uh, a healthcare fund. We sec-
1: securitize I believe, was That's, that's right,
2: Securitize. In fact, Securitize tokenized our, fu- our fund. Uh, we were one. I think we might have been their first customer. Uh, I think Spice VC was was before us. Uh, but but that what that what that does for KKR. Is, is it allows them to take a fund that was normally um, for fairly big tickets, right? Big, big institutions. And by tokenizing the sleeve, what they're doing is they're fractionalizing a smaller piece and, and basically allowing it to distribute to a whole new class of investors, basically broadening the universe of potential uh, uh, investors. And so I, I think this is gonna become um, very important. Um, it was interesting. We're talking about Silicon Valley Bank, we're talking about fractional banking, all those kinds of things. I was just at Salt, uh, mm-hmm. New York, uh, Anthony Scaramucci's uh, conference there in New York, and there was a gentleman, um, Dr. Lipton from Abu Dhabi, uh, who does all their quant research, that kind of thing. But they were talking about tokenization, and he was saying that, and and, and this was it, it, you know, and I've I've been doing this for a while, and it didn't really dawn on me until he started talking about fractional banking. You know, when you think about fractional banking, right, you've you got two sides of the balance sheet here, right? You've got the deposits, and then you have all the, all the assets, right, on, on the balance sheet. And the problem with, with that is, is that right now, the deposits are fairly liquid, right? You, you can go on Twitter and create a tweet, and all of a sudden, everybody's withdrawing. Right. But the assets on the other side of the balance sheet aren't that liquid. And so he was commenting about how tokenization could fix that. Now, what you're doing is by making those assets much more liquid and much more tradable, um, the match between both sides of that balance sheet on that bank, particularly in fractional banking, will, 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 will fit. Um, and so, you know, and I, I started thinking about that, you know, because right now you could say tokenization is nice to have, right, or it could be interesting. But in that case, it, it really, I think, offers a critical, a, a critical path for, you know, banking, so I, I think this is, yeah. this, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting to see what's going on there.
1: Well, this has been such a, an important point in the way the banking system works. Folks uh, who uh, know about this stuff always use this phrase, borrowing short to lend long. Uh, now yeah. we've all got these, right? So when right. Uh, there's a risk that you hear about some uh, institution that you might be doing business with, if there are rumors that get circulated on Twitter, true or otherwise, uh, assets can take flight uh, literally and as long as it takes someone to grab their phone, uh, and transfer them somewhere else. It's really interesting to think about the liquidity on the asset side uh, of the balance sheet. It's really and the liability side as well. I mean, it's just a fascinating, fascinating world.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, it's it's been a promise for a while. A lot of people have been talking about it uh, for a while. Certainly, we 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 decided to do it uh, very early, just because we're investors in the space and we wanted to learn about it. We wanted to understand the companies, basically the value chain of the space. But right. I think it's becoming increasingly uh, more um, important. You know, you have got you know Larry Fink, right? Uh, you know, BlackRock saying basically everything's going to be tokenized. So it it I, I think it's I think it's on the critical path. I think it's going to take a while as traditional finance um, embraces this. But you know, look, I was just out in um, out in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago, and uh, uh, we were at the digital asset conference there, which is. Primarily TradFi, you know, State Street Bank was there, and right. J.P. Morgan, you know, all the usual, the Citibank, all the big banks, right? Which is kind of totally different than consensus, where you know, yeah, you, right. you know, craziness, right? And and you know, the keynote was the head of digital assets at State Street. You know, I, I got news for you: five years ago, the, you know, there was nobody from any one of these large banks or large financial institutions even thinking about this stuff, and now they're doing keynotes. So that, yeah. that to me is, is a critical kind of where are we in the state of the industry as investors and how important is this when you have now you have a room full of, you know, all these traditional fi- big, big financial institutions with large groups of people all working on this. So that, that to me is where, where I get excited about this.
1: Yeah, it really is so interesting to see the engagement from large financial institutions, from people in this space uh, who had been skeptical uh, and who still, I think, remain skeptical to a certain extent about the decentralized notions uh, that people who are in this space, who are really passionate about it, feel. Uh, And yet... And yet, simultaneously, you do see that interest uh, in tokenization. I mean, look, KKR is an enormous private equity shop. Uh, they did not need to do this deal with securitize. Uh, they did it clearly because they wanted to get their feet wet. They wanted to understand okay. the new technology. And the fear is that if you don't start doing these things uh, at small size, dabbling here and there, that one day uh, in the near future you're going to wake up and be left behind. And no one wants to be in that position.
2: That's right. And look, look at Franklin Templeton. This is a mutual fund company out of Menlo Park. In fact. They were a customer of mine back in the '90s when I when I had a fintech.com uh, putting putting uh, financial institutions on the internet, and you know they they've tokenized the money market fund. They're all in. In fact, they had a huge uh, booth, if you will, uh, at Consensus. Uh, and you know this this is this is a you know like I said a a stayed secure. Right. Mutual fund company. For, I think they were, you know, created 1973. Right. Look at Aberdeen. Aberdeen, 500 billion dollar asset manager, also tokenizing funds. In fact, uh, we did a we did a deal with Archax, uh, which is a digital asset bank tokenizer, registered out of UK. Um, they're helping people tokenize. They have a broker. I think they have a broker dealer as well. And, uh, you know, the series, uh, the, the latest round of financing, uh, Aberdeen led the round uh, with right. $20 million. So, you know, there are definitely, there are a lot of, you know, bigger, uh, bigger uh, institutions squarely going after this.
1: Yeah, in a certain sense, kind of the more boring the institution, the more interesting it is when you see their involvement, right? This idea uh, that nobody wants to be left behind. That's right. That's right.
2: That's right. Yeah, and, you know, go ahead, a lot of people, uh, you know if I go back to this kind of med- this 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 discussion, how does this fit with dot com? you know how does it i'm I always look at the history because every you know we all like to think that we're we're doing something new and this never happened before, right. but you, you know th- this plays out just like like dot com did yeah. you know uh, you, you look what happens is everybody gets excited, there's all kinds of speculation, there's all kinds of bubbles, and then the bubble kind of pops. And then everybody kind of goes, "Holy cow!" But the pure promise of the tech never goes away. Right, things get devalued, all the speculation, the froth goes away, and then the real building happens. And I feel like that's where we are today, where we're really building. Right, the stuff that's happening is is true value add, and um, you know, and I see it playing out the same way.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting, and I I feel exactly the same way that you do about this, Rob. Uh, you know, the folks who are running large financial institutions uh, at this point are of how do we say this? Our vintage or older. Uh, they were there. They remember uh, the dot com era. Uh, I was one of the young guys on Wall Street in my twenties at the time. Uh, in the year two thousand, I remember it very clearly. And you said it so well. You have this sense of uh, there's this you know insane sort of euphoria, uh, and this this depression that follows it, and yet. The technology continues to do what technology does, which is to make slow, incremental progress and gradual breakthroughs that sort of interrupt the punctuated equilibrium. Uh, And what you get is this continual development and improvement. And we are bearing the fruits of that now. And in in many ways, uh, Web3, all the things that we've been talking about are a a decentralized version of all of those technologies that we worked on back during the dot-com era.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I actually think Web3 is going to be a massive, massive accelerant to this. Um, You know, when you think about crypto and you think about blockchain and where we're at, it's been primarily financial. Uh, You know, ultimately, blockchain really is just settlement, right? It's a settlement layer. It's how to clear a trade, how to clear a transaction. And I think when when you start rolling in social media and gaming and everyday kind of our internet lives, royalty payments, all of those kinds of things into blockchain, that's when, uh, you know, hang on to your seats, that, that, that's just like pure nitro on the fire, in my opinion. Uh, and and some of the stuff that we're seeing in Web3 is just, is, is truly, I think, grounded, right. down, groundbreaking.
1: Well, let me ask you this. Uh, one of the things that's very interesting to me uh, is seeing, I mean, obviously we know these, the the Web2 behemoths, uh, the, the Googles of the world, uh, the Facebooks of the world, uh, who have built these businesses creating uh, essentially value by mining user data. It's so right. interesting to think about how that paradigm is going to shift in the Web3 era. First, most basic question, how do you define Web3? And how do you think about the kind of services and functionality that will build built on top of that? How will it benefit users, consumers, uh, and ultimately create value for the people who participate in those networks?
2: yeah so so I, I let me let me give you kind of some some examples here. If you think about the early days of the internet, um, certainly when I started my first company, you had a website, you logged into the website and you got your content. It was highly centralized. It was on a network, but you went to that site and it was highly centralized. Kind of right. web two, you had Facebook, you have you know Google, you have uh, various platforms. And what you do is you basically, you know with your Facebook login, now I can go to a bunch of different sites and log into those sites, and kind of all that user data is kind of shared uh, among all of these sites. And you know, companies like Facebook profit off of that. Right. Web three really all of a sudden takes that whole kind of concept and puts it in the hands of the user. Um, we just invested in this this company. It's called N Pay Me. Uh, Pay Me, and it's it's a lot like GoFundMe. Um, or Patreon, uh, but totally decentralized. Mm. So, how does that? What does that mean? Decentralized, right? So, in, in the GoFundMe world, I go to GoFundMe, I create a campaign because I need to raise money to, I don't know, save save bulldogs. Uh, I like bulldogs, and uh, they process the transaction. They hold the content, and when I share that 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 call for donation out to my social media. Uh, it's all being centralized through through GoFundMe. What nPayMe does is they say no. Um, you go to the site, you create a smart contract to raise money for Bulldogs, and that smart contract you define how much the beneficiary is going to take, how much you're going to take, and it's all done through uh, through that smart contract. You share it on social media just like Web 2, right? But the Web3 aspect of it is um, on a smart contract. Now, here's where it gets cool. Built into that contract, I can also embed a royalty payment or maybe a share, uh, an affiliate system. So now I can say any affiliate, anybody who promotes by call right. to save Bulldogs gets 5%. And it's in the smart contract. So, Ash, let's say you see my You see my end pay me and you're like, hey, I like Bulldogs too. And you share it as an affiliate. Now a new smart contract is created with me, Rob Frasca, you, Ash, okay, as the affiliate. And now you share it and you're earning. Now there's no username or password there. I, I log in with my wallet. I create the smart contract. And that smart contract is basically attached to my wallet. You log in with your wallet and and there's no you don't have to register anywhere there's no username or password and oh by the way when somebody comes along and donates it's instantaneously settled all of a sudden that that USDC gets put in the various deposits so this is this is kind of where this is all heading right or or let's say i want to sell an nft membership instead of a donation same kind of thing so all of a sudden now and and by the way, you know, those files are held out on, let's say, IPFS or some decentralized file server. So now you've got this situation where my content, my offer, my transaction, and I'm not relying on this, any, any Facebook or Google to kind of centralize that.
1: Right. Yeah, I, I think that's. So interesting to hear you describe it that way. I, I picked out about four key concepts in what you just said there. Uh, the first is immutability, uh, that once Correct. these contracts get written, uh, they cannot be changed by either of the parties, uh, by any of the parties uh, who entered into them. The second is transparency. Uh, you want to know, for example, if someone's doing a, a bulldog rescue, uh, that the the funds are actually going where people say they are going, and that can be built into the contract. Uh, the third is composability, uh, which is the idea of what you're talking about, where uh, you can then share revenue uh, with people. This idea of money Legos, the system can be snapped together uh, in ways that have security, uh, but also openness so that you can uh, partner with different people in different ways and share potential revenue streams. I think that's incredibly interesting. And the fourth is this idea of efficiency, the idea uh, that they can settle essentially on-chain instantaneously at very, very low transaction costs. All of this potentially game changers for the way uh, that a whole bunch of different things will take place, I was reading uh, last night about the use case uh, for the tokenization of restaurants and clubs. You want to start a you want to start a restaurant. You know, there's a, a neighborhood you want to have a, a really cool hip restaurant, a Thai restaurant, whatever it is. Uh, you can get people uh, to become members of it. You can pre fund things, uh, and then uh, by doing that, you can give them priority with reservations and all kinds of things. Now, look, there are significant challenges with all this. Securities laws uh, being one of them. Uh, one of the questions that I always get asked is uh, you know the potential for fraud waste and abuse on this is absolutely the case. Uh, there will be people who will commit fraud using new technologies. Uh, that's been true uh, since the beginning of Didn't financial services. I mean, you know, beginning of time. And I think about joint stock corporations, which, uh, you know, many conservative financial commentators thought were scams. Think about that. The idea that stocks uh, in general were seen as something that was rife with the potential for abuse. There's a lot of potential for abuse here, but there's also a tremendous amount of opportunity. How do you think about that when TradFi folks who are skeptical ask you those questions, what do you say?
2: Well, look, just like you said, we saw this early on in .com, we saw it early on, you know, pretty much in all new markets, people look at situations and say, how can I, Uh, you know, nefarious players obviously come in and and it's ripe with abuse. I I think from my perspective, what I like to try to do is say, okay, where are we in the timeline of this? And ultimately, how is it going to change and then ultimately, um, how do I protect myself uh, in that? There's a lot of talk about regula- regulation right now, or a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of talk about compliance and those kinds of things. From, from my perspective, I, I, I think regulation is important. I think it's critical on the critical path. I, I actually look at it, if you look at it from an entrepreneurial lens, right now, without regulation, there is more risk in the system. And so some people are more uncomfortable with that. As soon as that regulation does come in, and, and people start doing things uh, in the in with with that regulation, then what happens is the risk is reduced, more liquidity comes into the system, and everybody benefits. Um, you know, look at look at Europe and Mika. I think it's you know a great thing. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful the U.S. will get their act together uh, and ultimately bring that uh, bring that to the system. But let's let's come back. This is still early. Uh, you know, Web3, we're just scratching the surface. We're just figuring out how to use this and, and what's the best ways to, uh, to use this. And so, um, you, know, don't, you know, don't get too far. Don't get too, too uh, over your skis here on this. It's going to take some time.
1: Rob, let's shift gears here from the theoretical to the practical. It's really interesting to me that you guys have actually tokenized something. You've created a security. Let's talk a little bit about how those trade uh, and introduce people to some terminology here. ATS, alternative trading system. Let's talk a little bit about the functional mechanics for how those securities tokens trade today.
2: Yeah. So I think this is this is super this is super important to understand, uh, and I and I, I talk about this all the time. So there's there's two concepts that I think are important when it comes to tokenization. And I think it's important to think about how they, what the timeline is. So so right now, I would say that the primary benefit of tokenization, just because there's not a lot of things that are tokenized, there's not a lot of marketplaces for tokenized things is on the issuance side. So, so when I when I have a security and I want to create the token for the first time and I want to issue it to somebody because I'm raising money, that's kind of step one. And I would say we're firmly in that issuance camp. Um, As soon as you have a large, large amount, a large universe of things that are tokenized, then the next question is, once I do issue that token, how do I trade it? And what happens is people, when they talk about tokenization, they tend to jump right to step two without really talking about step one. So um, so first of all, on the issuance side, generally what that what's required there is um, how do you, what type of investor, what type of person is buying that token? Are there requirements? Do they need to be accredited? What jurisdiction are they from? Do they follow KYC, AML? How do I manage that white list of who can buy it and the black list of who can't? Um, and ultimately, how are the functions of that security uh, coded into the token? That's kind of the first part of the market. I would say that's where we are today. We're in this kind of issuance camp. People are issuing new securities and basically figuring out financial structures uh, to do that. And, 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 and it could depend on the jurisdiction. The second The second next step is, is really along the lines of your question, which is how ultimately are they traded? Once I own that token, how can I sell it to you, Ash, uh, on a marketplace? So what we're seeing, and, and we're, as, as VCs, we're investing in that. Like right? we invested in X out of Singapore, which is a security token marketplace. Um, Archex, same type of thing, securitized markets. So they're securitized, which is doing the, the tokenization the issuance, is, and then there's securitized markets which is really like an ats that allows you to trade that um today those markets are very lightly traded uh there's not a lot of uh, activity in those markets i think that's primarily a function of just not having a big market of uh tokens for people to trade but i see that growing over time yeah
1: uh, Rob, I've got a question coming to us from one of our regular viewers, Ralph, on the Real Vision website. It's a great question. Uh, it's a question that I uh, often think about. What does Rob do to stay on top of developments in this industry? Other, of course, than watch Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing.
2: You know, I, oh, my God, I wish I could stay on top of it. <laughs> I just, there's no there is no way to stay on top of it. Uh, you know, we, we uh, we're constantly meeting with teams uh, every day, uh, all the time. Uh, We syndicate with other investors. We listen to what they have to say. Um, We, you know, when when we see something that is of interest, we really dive deep into that. Uh, I've got a group of people on my team. We all are all kind of sharing notes and diving in. But, uh, you know, I gave up trying to stay on top of it. It, It's almost it's just impossible. Uh, It it really uh, it really is. And so we just really try to, you know, build out a network and try to share notes as much as we can. We're very collaborative right. with others in the space, but man, it, it is, it is tough. It is, it is really hard.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. It's just impossible to stay on top of everything. Uh, Rob, this has been a fantastic conversation. This is the fastest 30 minutes I've gone through for uh, some time. <laughs> okay. Only one way to solve that problem. You're going to have to come back and do it with us again. Anytime. Uh, final thoughts, key takeaways that you'd like to leave our viewers and listeners with.
2: Look, I think I think we're crossing the chasm, to use Jeffrey Moore's term in Inside the Tornado. Uh, I think this is early, but it's going mainstream. It is going mainstream in a big, big way. Uh, lots of alpha there. Lots of alpha at scale uh, for investors in the space who know the space. And uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but here.
1: Rob Frasca, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Remember to sign up for RealVision Crypto. It's free, of course. Go to realvision.com forward slash crypto. That's realvision.com forward slash crypto. We'll be back tomorrow with Stacey Warden, CEO of the Algorand Foundation. Make sure to join us live. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern, 5 p.m. London. Thanks for watching. Have a great afternoon, everybody.
0: Today's episode of the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing is sponsored by Origin Ether. Earn elevated yield on your Ethereum directly into your crypto wallet. Deposit Ether for OETH or deposit liquid staking derivatives to boost your Ethereum yields now. Head to realvision.com slash OETH now to learn more.